Well, here we sit. Jay said it. This is the last corporate gathering, last Sunday to worship the Lord in a crazy year. Um, I don't know about you. I am not too sad to see 2020 go in the history books. Same breath. I'm a little concerned for 2021, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, But as the saying goes, I have no idea what tomorrow holds, but I do know who holds tomorrow. Yes. And I want to talk to you. I, I, I had, I've been working. Uh, we're going to be, by the way, we'll be back in Colossians 1 next Sunday. The reason we're not there this Sunday is I've been working through what I think is probably one of the most difficult verses in the New Testament. Certainly the most difficult verse in Colossians, and it needs more. I, got, I need to do some more study on that. It's fascinating. But it's, it's got to be accurately communicated, and we really need to understand. And it will go perfectly with our communion service and our fellowship meal to follow next Sunday. But in the meantime, if you would take your copy of God's Word and find your way to Psalm 23. I want to talk to you about the Sovereign Shepherd. The Sovereign Shepherd. As I, as I pondered what to present this last day of 2020... God's Spirit very clearly directed to the sovereignty of God. And no place is that more clearly demonstrated than in this little song that probably wasn't very famous in its day when David wrote it. But it has sure gained a lot of popularity since then. You hear it mostly at funerals. I use it at funerals. But I always preface it with, this is not a song for the dead, it's a song for the living. And it truly is. So I want to share that with you today, the Sovereign Shepherd. And I open with this quote from the Prince of Preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he said this, The position of this psalm is worthy of note. It follows the 22nd psalm which is peculiar, peculiarly, peculiar, I have always had a hard time saying that. Thank you. Peculiar, peculiarly, peculiarly. Boy, I don't know why that's a hard Let me try that again. Um, it follows the, 23rd, the 22nd Psalm, which is peculiarly, the, <laughs> which is interestingly, the Psalm of the Cross, and it is. Go look at, you got your Bibles open, glance at 22. All my bones are out of joint. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is the Psalm of the Cross. Listen to this, what Spurgeon says now. There are no green pastures, no still waters on the other side of the 22nd Psalm. It is only after we have read, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That we come to, the Lord is my shepherd. We must experience, we must by experience know the value of bloodshedding and see the sword awakened against the shepherd before we shall be able truly to know the sweetness of the good shepherd's care. Isn't that something? It must be the bloodletting of the cross before there is the blessing of the shepherd. The shepherd must be crucified, dead, and buried. And only then can he be that comfort to us. So with that in mind, I, we're just going to walk through this a verse at a time. Verse number one, the Lord is my shepherd. And I put it in parentheses here. And because he is, I shall not want. Now it's interesting to say here that the Lord is my shepherd. And in actuality, this is very typical of Hebrew poetry. In Hebrew poetry, um, they were not concerned as much with rhyming words as they were thoughts 
and idea patterns. So keep that in mind. And generally in Hebrew poetry, they would start by asserting some bold declaration. And it is very clear in this Psalm of David that the bold declaration is this. The Lord, the God of Israel, that's, He's my shepherd. And because He is, I have all that I need and I have no lack. That's His bold statement. And the rest of a good Hebrew poem would be verse line by line proving that point to be true. So David, the rest of this, will, he'll go line by line and say, let me show you how this is true. Let me prove it to you that I have everything that I need. And then he walks us through the blessings of belonging to a sovereign shepherd. Truth be told, the most important line in this whole song is really just the first one. And I'd like you to say it with me. Let's begin. The Lord is my shepherd. That's it. The most important line. Because I want, I want to be super clear here. If that first line is not true in your life, then everything that follows does not belong to you. Let me put it in the words again of Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. No man has the right to consider himself the Lord's sheep unless his nature has been renewed from the scriptural description of unconverted men. Um, does not picture them as sheep, but as wolves or goats. A sheep is an object of property, not a wild animal. Its owner sets great store by it, and frequently it is bought with a great price. So what Spurgeon is saying here is unless we have been changed from the inside out, we have no right to call ourselves gods. We have no right to say that God is our shepherd. The most important question to be answered in every human life is, who is my shepherd? And, and Spurgeon got it right. Sheep are property. So you could put it this way. Who owns you? Who's your master? Who's your boss? We don't like that in American culture, do we? Because we're, we're, we, we've grown up in the pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, I'm the boss of me culture, and we're kind of proud of that. American exceptionalism. I'm going to tell you the truth. There's a lot about America that doesn't fit within the lines of Scripture. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. The wealthy and the pauper are the same man. They both must be humble and come to the cross of Christ. This is the most important question to answer. David is very clearly saying here, this only applies to those who belong to God. The Lord is my shepherd. And notice what he says, so confident. The Lord is my shepherd. Can you say that with confidence today? And if so, based on what? Based on what? What, what, what is it that, that, that gives you any measure of confidence to say, you know what? God, the God of the Bible, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is represented in Jesus, Jesus Christ, the icon of God. That's my shepherd. How, do, how can I know that for sure? Where does that confidence come from? And let me give you a little hint. It better not come from anything you've done, but everything he's done. I had a brother tell me one time, we, were, we had this, we'd always have interesting, this one brother, interesting theological discussions. And he, would, he, he looked at things from such a different perspective. And we were talking about this. How do we know that the Lord is our shepherd? How do we know that God is our God? And he said, well, one of the ways that I know, the thing I'm really hanging on is that, you know, when I wake up in the middle of the night or when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think about is God. I'm like, brother, I'm so happy that that's true. But I, I, and I'm also so happy that I don't hang my assurance on that. Right? Can't be on anything that we do. It's got to be on everything that he's done. David said, the Lord is. And then he says, the Lord is what? Mine. And I think of the Song of Solomon. I am my beloved's and he is mine and his banner over me is what? Love. Love. He is mine. 
And because he is, I shall not want. And that means that word want means be in want or to have lack. Any of you ever been in want? Any of you ever lacked anything like basic necessities? Yeah. Right? Anyone ever gone to bed hungry? Not choosing to? Yeah. Some people have. And what David is saying here is, I have everything that I need because God has me and I have him. Now, here's where the rub comes in there. We have a hard time sometimes discerning the difference between niceties and necessities. Say amen or ouch. Right? Sometimes we have a hard time trying to figure out and tell the difference between a want and a need. One of my children really wanted a specific present for Christmas that he did not get. And you'd have thought that was a need. <laughs> Christmas morning when that thing wasn't opened. <laughs> right? You ever been there? Now, now, you know, we'll laugh at little kids pitching a fit. You and I have pitched fits too, haven't we? Huh? Because we thought a want was a need. And then sometimes we think a need is a want. But I'm going to tell you something. God takes care of what he owns. Amen? Just as he took care of his son, he takes care of you and I. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of the flowers. And you worrying about it ain't going to do anything but shorten your time on this globe. Right? God takes care of his stuff, his people. He's a good father. He's an excellent shepherd. And his resources are endless. Right? That's why we look to him. So we need to understand the difference between a want and a need. All of our needs are met. And by the way, do you know what your greatest need is? What is it? Yes. Your greatest need is to belong to the shepherd. And his greatest joy is to welcome you to the family. But your greatest problem is the sin that kicked you out of his family and put you into Adam's family. Huh? That's your problem. Sin is your problem. The Savior is your answer. Your greatest need is to be, have a right standing with God. So God wrote himself into human history, his story. Right? And he sends his son to live 33 perfect years. Become qualified to die in your place and mine. Jesus goes to that cross and he doesn't take his sin upon his, our sin upon his shoulders. That's not what the scripture says. He who knew no sin, listen to this, became sin for us. That we, and the import there, it's a little bit of a play on words in the Greek, who knew no righteousness <laughs> became his righteousness. The righteousness of God would show up in us is what the rest of the verse says. Wow. And when that's true, listen to me, beloved, when that need is met, listen, listen, even the actual physical needs you have pale in comparison. And we really see that there's only two physical needs, and then I'm going to get off this horse, I promise you. And I look at Jesus. Jesus needed food, and he needed clothing. He needed food and clothes. He said, what about, what about somewhere to live? What did Jesus say? He said, the Son of Man has nowhere to what? Lay his head. Did you know our Savior was a homeless man? He literally was. Jesus did not have shelter. Can you fix that, please, Ben, right now? Did you do it? Okay. Jesus did not have shelter, but he had food and he had clothing. Interestingly enough, until he died for you, then he had neither. All you need is something to wear and something to eat. Even housing is not a necessity, a human need. But even those two things, clothing and food, you can do without food. And you only need clothes because of sin. And by the way, that's why Jesus was naked. He was bearing our sin and the shame of that. Right? Oh, man, our wants and needs, your, your need is, is, is to be right with God. Yes. 
And then, and then God takes care of our physical needs as well. And I'm going to show you that in this next verse. Verse 2. Now, as we come to verse 2, let me give you a quick setup of this poem. A couple of different things. Number one, um, some have said, and I think they're, they're probably right, that this poem starts off out in the spring of the year. Starts off in the spring of the year because you're talking about green pastures. That's when everything's growing, young shoots. And then it moves into the summer as you're going through the valley of the shadow of death. And then into the fall, once you get through the valley of the shadow of death and you're finishing up in the mountains. And then the winter, you're, the shepherd would take them to the home range and they would be penned up for much of the winter. And that's where we see surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So you've got spring, summer, fall, and winter represented here. We also see here pretty clearly in verses 2 through 3 the provision of the shepherd. He provides, and David's going to show us. And by the way, did David know a little something about providing for sheep? A little bit, didn't he? Right? He was a shepherd, and he knew what it took. And then verses 4 to 5, we see the protection of the shepherd. He protects us. And then verse 6, we see the preservation of the shepherd. We're always his, and he brings us home at the end of the day. And at the end of the year. So let's look at this first one. Notice what it says. Uh, it says, he makes me to what, church? Lie down, Lie down where? All right. How many of you remember or still have young kids and you have to make them lie down? Huh? You remember this? Right? Why is that so hard in a child? That's one thing. Absolutely. They are not as near as tired. And we're tired because they're not. True, Joni? <laughs> Can you say amen there? <laughs> Absolutely. We're just telling the truth up in here today. <laughs> I've always had a theory about children and energy. And I think somewhere in the fourth dimension that children actually siphon the energy off of all the adults around them. And that's why they're so energetic and we're so exhausted. <laughs> and the first person that figures out how to turn that thing around is going to be a billionaire. Uh, children don't like to go to bed. You know, you get them in bed, what do they say? Can I get a snack? I'm not tired. Can I get a bed snack? I don't know where that, that's our house. I need a bed snack. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you would think bed snack is like, uh, I don't know, a granola bar. Not in our house. Bed snack's like a four-course meal. I mean, they're getting a turkey out. They're carving a turkey. They're putting the mashed potatoes on, gravy, stuffing, putting it in the microwave. You know, they're going to bed by midnight with a stomachache. And you've got to make them lie down. Now, sometimes you've got to go to drastic measures to make them lie down. And why do we do that? Because we're mean parents? Because we're exhausted? We are, but that's not why. We do it for their own good. They need to lay down. They need to go to sleep, and they need to sleep a long time. Sheep are the same way. And sheep, it amazes me that David, having been a shepherd, would compare himself to a sheep. And the only way I think this really happened, it, well, I know it happened through the Holy Spirit. It's inspired, right? God wrote this through the hand of David because there's no way David's going to compare himself to a sheep because he knew how stupid they were. And how helpless they were. And nobody wants to consider themselves stupid and helpless. Right? Because we think, we think we're not stupid. That's part of our problem. We think we know everything. And we think we can take care of ourselves. Those are the two biggest problems we got. But he compares himself to a sheep. Did you know that sheep won't lie down unless their stomachs are full? That's where that bed snack comes in. And not just that their stomachs, that, that, that they're not hungry, but literally... They have, to, they have to have confidence that when they wake up, there's going to be something for them to eat. And that's why it says, he makes me lie down where, church? Green pastures. They literally are going to sleep, so when they wake up, the first thing they see is a shepherd's provision. So that, that's taken care of. They don't have any food fears. 
Um, they also needed to be f- free from flies. They had these things called nasal bot flies. Terrible creatures. Little tiny fly. And it lands in the mucous membranes of their nose. Now remember, they don't have hands like us. And they lay these eggs in the nostrils. And then those eggs, when they hatch, turn into little worms that crawl up into the nasal passage way up high and then burrow into the flesh of that sheep in the nasal passage and they burn and itch. Now you and I can fix that in us. (laughs) A sheep don't have one of those, right? And a sheep will literally bang its head against a rock trying to dislodge it. They've even been known to kill themselves trying to dislodge those nasal bot flies. And if a sheep if there's, those flies are around, the sheep will not lie down because they're going to be so concerned that while they're sleeping, that fly is going to land. shepherd had to take care of that, and we'll get in a minute what, how he does that. He also had to be free from fear. And by the way, what do you think sheep are afraid of? Absolutely everything. Even stuff that makes no sense whatsoever. And, and the sheep are afraid for a good reason. And it's because they're absolutely helpless. They have no ability to protect themselves. And they have illogical fears. That's why they need a shepherd. So they have to have a great measure of trust in the shepherd in order to lie down and sleep. They got to they be free from flies. The shepherd's got to deal with that. They got to they be full and know that there's more food coming. And then this last one is they got to be free from friction. In other words, social friction. Sheep... Do not get along with sheep. There's a pecking order in a herd of sheep. And that boss, you, that boss mama, bosses everybody around in the flock. And then they get the, and then that pecking order gets out of order. They'll start biting each other and fussing with each other. And sometimes a shepherd has to get in the middle of that and correct them and make sure everybody's happy with everybody or nobody lies down. All of that, that's all built into this word. He makes me, he causes me to lie down. How does that play out in your life? You got some relationships that need fixing? Take them to God. You have some fears about your basic needs? Take it to God. You got some little things buzzing around your head and your heart and your soul that are driving you crazy? I got one of those right now. Take it to God. You're concerned about stuff? Take it to God and lie down. He does that for us. What's the next one? He leads me beside what? Still waters. Just real simple. Did you know that sheep will not drink from water if it's moving? Because they're scared to death. Now, this actually makes sense. What do sheep have around them? What do they grow on them? Wool. You ever fallen into water with jeans on? How'd that work for you? Right? It gets heavy, don't it? Some of these sheep can have up to 60 pounds of wool on them. What's going to happen if that gets wet? Where's that sheep going? Right to the bottom, right? And they're not, when's the last time you saw an athletic sheep? You haven't, right? They're, so water and sheep do not mix. And if that, if that, even if that little creek is just a nice little bubbling brook, they'll stand there and watch it, but not, not one sheep's going to stick their nose in there and drink. And they'll actually die of dehydration right next to a stream. What's a shepherd got to do? He's got to make a dam and a pool. Or he's got to get those sheep up at four in the morning when the dew is on the grass and they get their water that way. You noticing something here? The sheep are, can do nothing to help themselves and the shepherd does it all. There's a message in there for us. Look at this next one, verse 3. He restores my soul. And he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The restoration of the soul. Jot this down on your paper there. Uh, Psalm 42.5. David, same guy, wrote this. Why art thou cast down, O my soul, and why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Cast down. This is a picture of a cast sheep. A cast sheep. Now, the first thing the shepherd would do in the morning is he would get up. He normally slept with the sheep, especially in every season but winter, because in winter they were in a fold and a pen. But he slept out there in the elements with the sheep. First thing he'd do is he would get up and do a quick count. 
and he would look at the sky. If there's a sheep missing, he would look up and he would look for vultures. Why do you think that was? Yeah. They have a saying that sheep without a shepherd is lunch for some animal. So in, inevitably what happened is one of those sheep got up in the night and wandered off and got itself in trouble. And sheep can become cast. And that word, the best way I could describe it to you is I want you, you ever seen a turtle? And then you turn a turtle over on its shell, you turn it upside down, that turtle has no ability to turn itself back over. When I was a boy, we used to hunt snapping turtles in this, in this swampy lake. And the whole goal, and we had some big, big snappers, 7,500 pound snappers. And what we would do is you see the bubbles and you get the oar underneath them and you flip them into the boat and that's when the fun began. Because once they're in the boat, we actually had them snap an oak oar that big around, snap it and break it. Imagine what it would do in your arm. So what we do is when that turtle got in the boat, we all worked fast, and we would get those paddles underneath that turtle and flip it. And once it was on its shell, we owned it. And we would sell it to the local migrant workers, and, then, and they would eat those turtles. Little did we know how what a delicacy that was. I didn't find that out until I moved to Georgia and had my first turtle. I'm like, oh my word, we could have been eating this the whole time. Anyway, a turtle on its shell is helpless. A sheep on its back is the same way. It's called a cast sheep. And think about it. There's a lot of wool back there. And also the way the fat is situated on a sheep along the spine and on either side. There's so much fat that a sheep's back is really flat. And if a sheep is lying down sleeping and happens to roll over onto its back, what happens is all that fat and all that wool just kind of slushes down to the bottom and creates a table. And they literally can't roll this way and they can't roll that way. They're, they're stuck like this. Can you imagine? And they're as helpless as a turtle on its back. It's called a cast sheep. And that's what David meant in Psalm 42.5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? It, it, it is a picture of helplessness. How many of you know that even, as, even, even belonging to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and the glorious gospel, how many of you know that as, as, as a child of God, we can wander away and get ourselves in trouble? Anybody ever been there? Any honest saints in this house this morning? You can wander Oh, what's those songs say? Prone to wander? Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. So what's that shepherd do? He looks, and sure enough, he'll see that sheep over there in the distance, laying on his back, frozen. Now think about it. That poor sheep's been laying on his back all night like that. And the gases, sheep have a number of stomachs. And so the gases in their stomach has been released into their bloodstream and literally starting at their hoofs on down, they're, they get paralyzed. And if that, all that paralysis has to do is hit the lungs and heart. The lungs get paralyzed, heart gets paralyzed, you got a dead sheep. They've been laying out there crying all night long, which is a dinner bell to the wolves, lions, and bears that inhabited the area. Right? And they're scared to death. And there they lie. Shepherd sees him. Now, if the shepherd runs up to that sheep, guess what's going to happen? He could have literally scared the sheep to death. He can kill it with a heart attack. Because imagine, you're the sheep, you're helpless, and you hear something coming behind you. What are you thinking? It's over, right? And sheep could literally die. So here's what the shepherd does. He starts singing. Because that's what David did. That's how this got written. He would, he would write songs as he was watching sheep. And he would start singing. What did, what did Jesus say in, in, in John's gospel? My sheep hear my voice and they know me. So the shepherd would start singing. And I don't know if your mother ever, my mom did this when we were kids growing up. She would take these songs and she would insert our names into songs. Your mother ever do that for you? She'd insert your name into a song. I thought every song she's ever written was about me. Until <laughs> I got old enough to listen to the radio. And so what that shepherd would do is he would insert that sheep's name. All sheep were named. He would start singing songs and singing that sheep's name. And what do you think that did for the sheep? I'm saved. 
I'm going to make, my shepherd's here. I know that voice. And he's singing my name. He's singing over me. And then that shepherd would come to that sheep. You got to be careful now. He can't walk. He's paralyzed. And he would take that, he would take that sheep and, and turn it over and kind of straddle it with his legs, right? Because he can't walk. And he would be massaging those legs, getting the blood flowing back in there, all the time singing and talking gently to that sheep. That's what David meant when he said, he restores my soul. That's how good our God is. That's how confident we can be that when we, out of our own stupidity, wander away from the Lord. By the way, someone said, oh, I feel so far from God. You know where he is? He's right where you left him. He never moved. You did. Amen? And he comes back and gets you. He restores us. Maybe you need that restoration today. Then he says, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for what? The sake of here's what that means. God's name is written on our, God signed his signature on our life. Remember, we belong to him. We're his property. He owns the deed to Paul. And his name hangs on me, hangs on my life. And because it does, because, Andy, just leave that be. That's more of a distraction than what it is. Because my name does hang or God's name does hang on my life, guess what? God is very specific about where he leads me and how he leads me because God's name is attached to my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. What does that mean? In the just right path. He leads me in the perfect path that I need to be on. How many of you would ever dream that 2020 was the perfect path for you? Anybody? Yeah, but it was. If you're a child of God, you needed 2020. And God ordained 2020. He said, but I lost my job. You needed that. He's leading you in the right path, not for you, but because of him. We have confidence in that. And I find it really interesting in verse 4. In verse 4, this just right path gets a description. Notice this. Even though I walk through the, what's that say? Valley of the shadow of death. By the way, nobody signs up for that. Matter of fact, if you want a good descriptor of 2020, that's it. (laughs) Amen. The valley of the shadow of death. That was 2020. Right? Nobody is going to plan a trip and say, oh, I know, let's go through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a great place. (laughs) Yes, ooh, Lord, you're getting a trip? Sign me up, take me, take me. We don't sign up for that. Yeah. (laughs) Right? And yet, what did he just say? He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Listen to me, saints. The path of righteousness often goes straight through the valley of the shadow of death, the very place you do everything in your power to avoid but he does everything in his power to take you to. You with me? The right path is full of earthly disappointments. The right path is full of fear. The right path is so often the scariest place you could ever imagine. And yet that's exactly the right place for you to be. Right there in the middle of God's will. And notice what he says, Yea, though I walk, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, notice what he said, I will fear no evil. I'm not, I, I'm not afraid. Remember, sheep are scared of everything, especially dark places. What is it that's causing him not to fear? Why? You, for what? You are with me. And not only that, look at the next phrase. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Not only are you with me, you're packing heat. (laughs) That's literally what that means. That rod and staff, he killed lions and bears with that stuff. He said, you're packing. I'm not scared. I'm not scared. I'll tell you what, and I'm going to be a little bit vulnerable here and tell you the truth. Since I was a kid, I've been petrified of the dark. 
I've been scared of the dark since I was a child. And when I first moved here to Georgia, some people started coming to the church, and they knew I liked to hunt, and, and they said, well, come hunting with us. I said, all right. They said, be at our house at 4.30 in the morning. I said, all right, I'll be there. 4.30 in the morning, I go to their house, and we drive down the road. It's pitch black dark outside, right? And we go to this swamp, and this boy, just a boy, he carries me in there. I have no idea where I am. It's not even light out. He says, sit here next to this tree. He says, and he said, he said I can already hear the pigs are, are just, the wild pigs are just about 30 yards south of you. You can hear them down in there. There's a whole bunch of them. And then he leaves me. Like, I got no flashlight, and he wasn't lying. I thought there was a T-Rex down there in that swamp from the noise of that. I'm scared out of my mind. And he left me. And it's dark. And I am pet I'm too scared to move and I'm too scared to stay there. And I thought, what am I going to do? And then just, no kidding, it was, I think God just put this thought in me. He says, son, you have a high-powered rifle with 14 rounds. Why are you scared? And I got to thinking, you know what? That's true. Why am I scared? I got no reason to be scared. Can you just end that? Go ahead. We'll, and we'll tell it a while later. I got no reason to be afraid. I got a high-powered rifle. Nothing that's going to come up out of that swamp is going to be a problem for me. I can handle it because I'm covered. That's what David's saying here. Did you notice something else here? Up, up to now, David is talking about God. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the just right path for the sake of his name. But when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death, all of a sudden it's, you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. Listen to me. It's only in the valley. Listen. It's only in the valley that you quit talking about God and you start talking to him. And some of you, listen, because we're just ignorant sheep, some of you won't talk to God until you're in the valley. And you need the valley in order to rediscover who your shepherd is. And it's a fearful place of death. And you got to go right in the middle of the very thing that scares you the most to realize you got a shepherd who's not scared. Amen. And at the closest, you, you get to know your, your shepherd in your valleys, never on your mountaintops. So maybe we shouldn't fear the valley. He's got a rod and he's got a staff. And that comforts me. Look at verse 4, or verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and then what? My cup what? My cup overflows, it runs over. So let's break this down real quick. Now we're getting into the winter. And what's happening here in the wintertime, the shepherd would take the sheep back to the home fold and pen them up. And then he would get his backpack and a bunch of supplies. He would get his weapons. And then he would uh, go out on a trip to the mountains. And he would prepare the fields for the sheep. And in those fields, imagine fields bigger than a football field. A dozen or more of them. He would take one field at a time and go through them on his hands and knees in the winter and pull out all the poisonous weeds and grasses that would kill his sheep. By the root, one at a time. He would also go on a hunt, and he would hunt down and kill the predators in the area. He would kill every lion, wolf, and bear that he could find. And he would, he would make a table of provision in advance, right in the very presence of the enemy of the sheep. Because the shepherd loved the sheep that much. And I'm going to tell you what David said this in Psalm 139. Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. And what that means is similar to this. He goes, but God is before you. God is in your tomorrow preparing exactly what you need. And some of what you need is a valley. But listen to me. All the fangs have been taken out of the snakes that are in that valley. And they're all harmless. Because the Father has ordained it. He's gone ahead to prepare it for you. I remember hearing about a little boy riding with his daddy in a car and a, and a bee flew in the window. The little boy was 
allergic to bees. And so he was understandably petrified of the bee. And the father saw that bee and it landed on his window and he just reached over and, and he grabbed a hold of that bee. And the boy was still screaming and screaming. And finally the father opened his hand and picked up the bee and showed his son. He said, you have nothing to be afraid of. I took the sting for you. And that father held that bee until it stung him. And now, now it was harmless for his son. That's what, the, that's what God the Father is doing for you and I right now. He is into our tomorrows taking the stingers out of everything that is there to destroy us. Out of everything that is there is to thwart our faith in Him. Doesn't mean it's not going to be a scary ride getting there. But what it means is God's in complete control. Right? This table is prepared for you in advance. Because only God can go into the future. The presence of your enemies. God's doing this. You anoint my head with oil. That goes to those flies. He would take sulfur and olive oil and just cover the heads of those sheep so that those flies wouldn't like the smell and they wouldn't land. That was, that was old-fashioned uh, bug spray. And it would keep those flies. Flies are little things. Anybody in this room have little things that irk you? They kind of crawl up your nose and lay some eggs? If you're not careful, it can actually really mess you up. You know, God knows that. One of the pictures of the Holy Spirit is oil. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit. So that those little things can't find a place to land in your soul and eat you alive from the inside out. Then he says this, my cup, what? Runs over. Now this is weird. Okay, so everything up to now is about sheep, right? You got anointed heads, following the shepherd in the valleys, green pastures, still waters, all this, right? And now we got a cup that's overflowing. There's only one problem with that. Sheep don't drink from cups. People do. Here's what I, now, now this is just me. This is my best guess. I think what happened here is that David... Uh, was so excited about how good God was to him that he pulls out of his analogy for a minute of him being a sheep. And he becomes a human being again. And he said, my cup overflows. Now, when you hear that, what do you think of? My cup overflows as a euphemism for what? I'm so blessed. I'm so just overwhelmed with how good God is to me and how kind. But you've got to remember something. This song is headed towards close. David's in the winter of his life now. And this has a greater meaning than just blessing. He's looking back on his whole life and saying, Boy, how many valleys, Lord, have you taken me through? How many, how many wolves have you killed? How many stingers have you removed? But boy, go look at David's history. He had a bunch, didn't he? And oh, Lord, how faithful have you been to your servant? And all of a sudden, he just overflows and pulls out of the analogy. And he pulls into a cultural norm in his day. Now, David's for the Jewish people, when they read this, knew exactly what this meant. You and I don't, because it's not our culture. So let me share it with you. Some of you have heard this before, but it's a really cool thing. Um, they have a tradition, even to this day, in the Middle East. They're very hospitable. Hospitality is like the number one expectation in Middle Eastern culture. Matter of fact, when our troops were hunting Saddam Hussein, they found him in a in a pit, in a hiding place, in a man's yard. And they, and they went to that man afterwards and said, you must have been a supporter. And the man spit on the ground, which is a, that's a way of saying a bad word in, in the Middle East. And he said, that's what I think of Saddam Hussein. They said, why would you hide him? Why would you help him? And the man was, was taken aback. And he said, because he came to my door. Even though he hated the man, because Saddam Hussein came to his door looking for help. Middle Eastern culture says, you help them. That's hospitality. So David draws from that. And there was this custom that they had. How many of you have had people over your house and it's time to go home, but they're not getting the hint? <laughs> Ever done that? You know, you turn all the lights off and change in your pajamas and they're still staying. Yep. Right? And there's no clean way to do that. In the Middle East to this day, they still have this custom. And it's basically this. You come to visit, I put a glass before you. In our culture, I'll pour you some sweet tea. In his, he would take a, a wine skin off the wall and fill your glass with wine, and you'd visit and drink. 
And, and when your glass was empty, if it didn't get refilled relatively quickly, that meant it's time to go. And nobody's feelings are hurt. It's just, an, I think we need that. We should try to start redo that in our culture. But if you came to visit me and I wanted to say to you and everybody in my house that you're somebody special, here's what I'd do. I'd set that glass down and I would take that wine skin and I would fill up your glass to the very top and then I would pour just enough so that just a little bit of it overflows your cup onto the table. And what that was is a cultural sign to, to your guest and to your family that, hey, this person right here is not a guest this person's family. They belong here, and the visit is open-ended. They never have to leave. They're welcome at this table forever and always. Go into the fridge, get whatever you want. You make yourself at home. In the Latin culture, they have a saying, mi casa es su casa. My house is what? Your house. So it's this, it's this great honor to bestow. And what David says is, you know what? When I look back on my life, all I see is this great honor that you have bestowed on me that I'm a member of your house. And we are. And then his last one, verse 6. Surely. In other words, David said, all right, I'm in, I'm in the last month of the winter of my life. And here's what I look back on my life and here's what I'm convinced of. Your goodness and your mercy are going to still follow me all the days of my life. Now stop right there. I, I want to be honest right here. Because I need to prepare some of you for it. And some of you could preach this part for me. Dying is hard. Death is a hard work. It is a valley. I watched my dad die. I have missed him so much this season particularly. I don't know what it was about this year and this Christmas. I miss my dad. I miss him sitting in the corner with a grin on his face just watching everything. But I watched that man die. And he died hard. His stubbornness did not pay off when it came time to die. And he died slow and he died hard. Death is not pretty. Death is an enemy. Don't ever forget it. And if someone says, oh, death is as natural as birth, they're confused. Death was not God's intention. Death was a result of sin. And that was on us, not God. And dying's hard. But here's what David's saying. <laughs> Even in my last chapter, I know that's what's coming behind me is your goodness and your mercy. And that word mercy is really cool. Of course, you know Hebrew is more like a Chinese cuneiform. It's strokes that make up words. They're pictures that make up a full word. And, and this picture is somewhat of a picture of a mother protecting her baby. And, and that word for mercy is a mother's stubborn illogical love. And here's what David's saying. I know that your goodness and your stubborn illogical mother's kind of love <laughs> that's what's coming up behind me. So I'm not afraid anymore because I know that when I cross that Jordan I'm going to be home and you're going to overflow my cup once more and I'll be with you I'm going to live in your house forever let me close I open with Spurgeon let me close with him here's what he said it has been said that what the nightingale is among birds that is this divine ode among the psalms, for it has sung sweetly in the ear of many a mourner in his night of weeping, and has bidden him hope for a morning of joy. I will venture to compare it also to the lark, which sings as it mounts and mounts as it sings until it is out of sight, and even then not out of hearing. Note the last words of the psalm. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. These are celestial notes more fitted for the eternal mansions than for these dwelling places below the clouds. Oh, that we may enter into the spirit of the psalm as we read it, and then we shall experience the days of heaven upon earth. How are you supposed to apply this with a simple question? Number one, 
Do you know God? Not about Him. Do you know Him? Remember those four chairs? Seed, root, growth, tree, and fruit. What chair are you in? Has God changed you from the inside out? Have you been saved? Have you been redeemed? Have you been born again and filled with God's Holy Spirit? The most tragic thing that could ever happen is for you to attend this worship of this, in this church with this fellowship of people for decades and miss Jesus. Don't do it. Don't take your salvation for granted. Don't think that just because I come or just because I got a Bible and I read it once in a while or just because I give, just because, take all the just becauses away and really ask yourself, Father, am I yours? Do I belong to you? Does your spirit fill me? Be honest. Be ruthlessly honest. Let the Lord be honest about that with you. Are you God's? Have you been born again? Here's the second question. If so, where are you on that journey? Some of you find yourselves in the middle of the valley of the shadow of death and you need some comfort. Comfort is close to the shepherd. Maybe right now you don't, you're a little uncertain about the future. And maybe you need to be reminded that God is already in tomorrow preparing a table before you in the presence of whatever enemy is keeping you up at night. Maybe you need to be reminded, and I'm with you, that no matter how stupid you are, no matter what flesh trips you take away from God, that he's always there to restore you, and he's always there to remind you that you're not anybody, you're family because of Christ. And your cup overflows. Stop trying to earn it. God's the provider. We're the receiver. What is it you need to hear this morning? What part of that needs to be personally applied in your life? I'm going to pray. And as I do, I want you to pray. And I want you to just ask God, God, apply this to me and make it clear where I am and what I need. And as I'm praying, the worship team will come forward and we're going to sing a song at the end here. Father, I come to you today thanking you that you are our sovereign shepherd. You're never taken by surprise. You're never caught empty-handed. Everything is yours, including us. And Lord, I pray that you would apply the truth, the realities of this text to our hearts today. Lord, if there's anybody here that really has not been born again yet, that's not a fuzzy term. That's a really clear thing. It's a really uh, amazing event that when it happens, change is inevitable. That's not been a reality for anybody in this room today. Right now, Father, if according to your sovereign will, would you call them to Christ? Would you convict them of their sin, give them a spirit of repentance, and make them new from the inside out? Would you give us hope for tomorrow and remind us that you're already preparing the way? You're already there, and we have nothing to fear. Would you replace fear with faith as we, as we get ever closer to you? And when it's all over, Lord, we're going to be with you forever and you're going to get all the credit because we're just dumb sheep, but you're an amazing shepherd. You did it all. We did the sinning. You've done the saving. We blow it. You provide. We're weak. You protect. And we, and, and we would never make it if you didn't cause us to persevere through your grace. May we praise you today for being a sovereign shepherd in Jesus' name. We stand and sing, all glory be to Christ.
May he get all the glory because he is the sovereign shepherd who's done it all. Amen. What a way to say goodbye to 2020 and welcome to 2021. Knowing that the same shepherd that led us through that is going to lead us through next year too. To the glory of his name. Amen. Let's sing that doxology as we leave with joy this morning. Praise God from the blessings flow.